You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم شروع اللہ کے نام سے جو بڑا مہربان نہایت رحم کرنے والا ہے سامعین ریڈیو رمضان 87.7 FM سے اور ہم آپ کی خدمت میں ایک دفعہ پھر پروگرام ریفلیکشنز لیے ہوئے حاضر ہیں اللہ تعالی کے حضور ہم شکر گزار ہیں کہ اس نے ایک دفعہ پھر زندگی میں یہ موقع عطا کیا کہ اس کے کلام کی برکت کو سمیٹتے ہوئے ہم اس کے کلام کو سنیں سمجھیں اور آپ کے ساتھ شیئر کریں یہ سراسر اس کی رحمت ہے کہ یہ موقع وہ ہمیں بار بار دیتا ہے کہ ہم اس کی کتاب کو کھولیں اس کی آیات کا مطالعہ کریں اور اس سے برکات اور فیوز حاصل کریں دس از ریڈی رمضان ایٹی سیون پوائنٹ سیون ایف ایم پروگرام ریفلیکشنز آئی ایم یور ہوسٹ زبیر ود مائی گیسٹ شیخ رضوان محمد ود پروگرام ریفلیکشنز سورہ امبیا ٹوینٹی فرسٹ سورہ از واٹس انڈر ڈسکشن السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ اللہ اکبر سو آئی تھنک اٹس سائنس ون آف دا سائنس آف اللہ سبحانہ و تعالیٰ uh sometimes there is cubs and sometimes there is bust ya qabid ya basit subhanallah time flies um i think it's been good 6 7 years when we did those names of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. and these were the two names that stuck with me every time <clears throat> there is a high mood i say ya basit and whenever there is you know depleted energy Uh, you remember that Allah is also Qafiz. Mm. Not saying that I'm in low energy today, but maybe I am. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Sheikh, how are you today? Alhamdulillah. Uh, <laughs> yes, alhamdulillah is what I should say. But uh, yeah, no energy today. Uh, somehow, somewhere. I think Lahore was really hot. 42 degrees today. <clears throat> 42 degrees so it was really hot first hot hot day mm-hmm. um and i was in an iftar uh, in a factory floor there were like maybe over 100 people uh, th- this guy had invited all the laborers all the factory workers for iftar mm-hmm. and uh, you know we were sitting in two rows uh, with kujur in between like facing each other on the floor um and just before iftar this slightly kind of moderately religious looking person with slightly slightly longish beard so everyone else was talking and he was kind of like murmuring probably reading some dua so someone said uh, haji sahab dua kare so the haji sahab started making dua <laughs> uh so everyone just kept kind of like went into a quiet mood um and the dua he made um i think the first time i heard it was quite poetic um and the, the dua was uh, munajat was in, in in a poem he had he had learned and no one knew that he knew that he, because he was he had closed eyes and he was just uh tarannum ke sath baat kar raha tha tarannum tarannum ke sath usne dua ki na to tarannum mein jo dua ki usme se ek ki ke 
Uh, That's not yeah, Urdu, by the way. I just, uh... <laughs> no, 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 it's not going to be in Urdu. So as soon as he started making dua, one of the uh, lines he said struck me. He goes, so on the day of judgment, when my uh, tongue is out, well, I'm paraphrasing, because of thirst, O Prophet Wasallam, uh, quench my thirst through how they her. And that was one of the many lines I'd remembered. And I thought, well, for me, it was like, I hadn't heard that before. So, yeah. It was mind-blowing for me that how uh, how much of a tradition there is in our in our culture mm-hmm. of expressing your love with Prophet in various different forms, ways, and more you, you interact with this form of faith more you come across it and more you feel. So the ayahs of today uh, probably will go towards that. Murade kalbe khalil hotum, inshallah. Faisal, aaj ki ayat. Surah Ibrahim, Surah In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, and this Quran is a blessed message which we have sent down. Then are you with it unacquainted? And we had certainly given Abraham his sound judgment before, and we were of him well knowing. When he said to his father and his people, What are these statues to which you are devoted? They said, We found our fathers worshippers of them. He said, You were certainly, you and your fathers, in manifest error. They said, Have you come to us with truth? Or are you of those who jest? He said, No, 
rather your Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth who created them, and I to that am of those who testify. And I swear by Allah, I will surely plan against your idols after you have turned and gone away. So he made them into fragments, except a large one among them, that they might return to it in question. They said, Who has done this to our gods? Indeed, he is of the wrongdoers. They said, We heard a young man mention them who is called Abraham. They said, Then bring him before the eyes of the people that they may testify. They said, Have you done this to our gods, O Abraham? He said, Rather this, the largest of them did it. So ask them if they should be able to speak. So they returned to blaming themselves and said to each other, Indeed, you are the wrongdoers. Then they reversed themselves, saying, You have already known that these do not speak. He said, Then do you worship instead of Allah that which does not benefit you at all or harm you? Uff to you and to what you worship instead of Allah, then will you not use reason? They said, Burn him and support your gods if you are to act. Allah said, O fire, 
be coolness and safety upon Abraham. And they intended for him harm, but we made them the greatest losers. سامعین یہ سورہ انبیاء کی طویل ترین جو حصہ ہے ہم نے آپ کے سامنے رکھا جس میں حضرت ابراہیم علیہ السلام کا پورا قصہ ہے سورہ انبیاء میں سے حضرت ابراہیم علیہ السلام کا جس میں کہا گیا کہ ہم نے اپنے باپ دادا کو ان کی عبادت کرتے پایا اس نے کہا تم بھی گمراہ ہو اور تمہارے باپ دادا بھی سریح گمراہی میں پڑے ہوئے تھے انہوں نے کہا کیا تو ہمارے سامنے اپنی اصل خیالات پیش کر رہا ہے یا مذاق کرتا ہے اس نے جواب دیا نہیں بلکہ فی الواقع تمہارا رب وہی ہے جو زمین اور آسمان کا رب اور اس کا پیدا کرنے والا ہے اس پر میں تمہیں تمہارے سامنے گواہی دیتا ہوں اور خدا کی قسم میں تمہاری غیر موجودگی میں ضرور تمہارے بتوں کی خبر لوں گا چنانچہ اس نے ان کو ٹکڑے ٹکڑے کر دیا اور صرف ان کے بڑے کو چھوڑ دیا تاکہ شاید وہ اس کی طرف رجوع کریں انہوں نے آ کر بتوں کا یہ حال دیکھا تو کہنے لگے ہمارے خداؤں کا یہ حال کس نے کر دیا بڑا ہی ظالم تھا کوئی بعض لوگ بولے ہم نے ایک نوجوان کو ان کا ذکر کرتے سنا تھا جس کا نام ابراہیم ہے انہوں نے کہا تو پکڑ لاؤ اسے سب کے سامنے تاکہ لوگ دیکھ لیں اس کی کیسی خبر لی جاتی ہے ابراہیم کے آنے پر انہوں نے پوچھا کیوں ابراہیم تو نے ہمارے خداؤں کے ساتھ یہ حرکت کی اس نے جواب دیا بلکہ یہ سب کچھ ان کے اس سردار نے کیا ہے انہی سے پوچھ لو اگر یہ بولتے ہوں یہ سن کر وہ لوگ اپنے ضمیر کی طرف پلٹے اور اپنے دلوں میں کہنے لگے واقعی تم خود ہی ظالم ہو مگر پھر ان کی مت پلٹ گئی اور بولے تو جانتا ہے کہ یہ بولتے نہیں ابراہیم نے کہا پھر کیا تم اللہ کو چھوڑ کر ان چیزوں کو پوچھ رہے ہو جو نہ تمہیں نفع پہنچانے پہ قادر اور نہ نقصان تف ہے تم پر اور تمہارے ان معبودوں پر جن کی تم اللہ کو چھوڑ کر پوجا کرتے ہو کیا تم کچھ بھی عقل نہیں رکھتے انہوں نے کہا جلا ڈالو اس کو اور حمایت کرو اپنے خداؤں کی اگر تمہیں کچھ کرنا ہے ہم نے کہا اے آگ ٹھنڈی ہو جا اور سلامتی بن جا ابراہیم پر وہ چاہتے تھے کہ ابراہیم کے ساتھ برائی کریں مگر ہم نے ان کو بری طرح ناکام کر دیا صدق اللہ العظیم So Sheikh, this is the complete kind of story of Hazrat Ibrahim السلام, with uh, quite a bit of detail of how the, 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 the thing that I want to start with today is this word rushd uh, that we discussed yesterday in, in a bit of detail, uh, but a, a bit more on it today. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ رُشْدَهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَكُنَّا بِهِ عَالِمِينَ In this translation of Urdu that I have, It says that اور اب یہ بابرکہ ذکر ہم نے تمہارے لیے نازل کیا پھر کیا تم اس کو قبول ہاں اس سے پہلے بھی ہم نے ابراہیم کو اس کی ہوش مندی بخشی تھی اور ہم اس کو خوب جانتے تھے یعنی ہوش مندی Ibrahim alayhi salam's abilities uh, the, due to which this young man was able to do what he did. That he could yeah, see okay. right from home. Yeah, so rushd is, is essentially maturity, mental maturity, psychological maturity. Rushd is 
رشتا. So in the Quran it talks about you know giving people and minors you know their financial affairs when you see that you've tested them on their maturity, their kind of mental maturity. And so what this verse means is that because before it mentions the Prophet Musa and, and Harun, and just before this, and it says, and before them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted rushd. And so rushd can, can, can mean a number of things. That's, I think I may have mentioned it yesterday. First and foremost, it means this idea of, if based on what I mentioned yesterday, prophecy. So, you know, this idea of, of prophecy being the bridge that, you know, is in this chapter taking us from, you know, the discussion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to, him taking to, people to account for their actions to how we deal with it and the, and the human beings will be told about this, which is through prophets. So it talks about the prophet um, Moses and, and Aaron, and it talks about the Prophet who has given, given the revelation. And then it says another example of that is the rush that was given to the Prophet Ibrahim. So some people say it's actually prophecy itself, God telling us that he will be made a prophet. In other words, what he's doing here is proving the fact that he's worthy of being a prophet. Mm. So in other words, Allah is saying he will be a prophet and to, to prove that he's a good choice, look at what he did when he was young. So it, mm. it's not that he's been given mental directly, it's not saying directly he's been given mental maturity. It's saying he's got prophecy and the, and the proof of him deserving prophecy is that look how intelligent he is at that young age. Or you so could say, yeah. So so this leads to this, um, I, I I think we've discussed this before at some point a few years ago, but this leads to this discussion uh, amongst some scholars that the, the, the maqam-e nabuwa, the, the station of nabuwa is acquired, can be acquired. Perfect yourself to a certain degree and you show the qualities of a person who could be a guide is when you are awarded this status of Nabi. No, or is it pre predetermined? No, Nabuwa and Risala is predetermined. It's irrelevant and 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 disconnected to a person's ability to to acquire it. But what is there is the person has already been given the qualities and capacities by God. <coughs> And also part of it is they've developed them themselves that they are deserving of being a prophet. So it's, it's almost as if God will not choose a person that's unbefitting to be a prophet, if that makes sense. They have to live a life which shows through their own choice that they will, they're worthy of being a prophet and then God cho chooses them. So this is like istifat, this is choice, God chooses them. And and those cho those qualities are things like, you know, as al-fatana, Zaheen, as you mentioned a couple of days ago. So this idea of, of being Zaheen, it comes up in this in this verse very interesting because Rushd is connected to that, you asked about Rushd. Rushd is discernment and intelligence and maturity. Because if you think about how the Prophet Ibrahim engages with them at that young age, first of all, he speaks to them. He says, what are these um, idols that you've set up in worshipping other than God? And then what he, what he th then does um, is that he says, I'm going to destroy them, basically. He's saying, I'm going to plot against them. I'm going to do an action. Hmm. And so he moves from, first of all, trying to convince them through speech. And then he goes, when that doesn't work, he goes to action. And what's interesting is the Prophet, you know, the very famous hadith, um, it was the Prophet said, um, 
Whoever sees something evil or bad should change it with their heart. Yeah? No, no, he says So change it with their hands. Either change it with their hand or change it with their, their tongue or change it with their heart. And so there's a gradation here. And, that, and that's the weakest form of faith. Yeah, the weakest form of faith, meaning the least impactful form of faith. Now, what we have here in the in the, in the situation of the Prophet Ibrahim is that if you think of his life, his first appreciation of the futility and and um, you know lack of utility and misguidance of idol worship is in his heart. Is in his heart because he. He sees the, the sun, sees the moon, sees the stars. And in his heart, he, he's saying, I don't like things that set. He's not preaching to anybody. He's just saying it. It's, in his, it's an observation that he's having of the sun. That's my Lord. It sets. The moon, it sets. The stars, they set. And all of a sudden, in his heart, he has, a, has appreciation of the fact that these are not things worthy of worship. And then he goes from, from that to the tongue when he tells them, you know, how are you standing in worshipping idols other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In other words, he's rebuking them with his tongue. And when that doesn't work, what does he do? He goes to actually physically doing something. بِيَدِهِ and, and so and the Prophet Ibrahim is showing us a gradation of how to create change. If you can do it with the less, lesser of something, you do it. And then you, you, you kind of progress to something more difficult, which is speech. And if you can't, then do it with your hand. And so it's almost the inverse of what the Prophet is saying, isn't it? Think about okay. it. Th th this is very, very, very important. Okay, let, let's, let's pause here, right? No, the, 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 the hadith the, again, right? The hadith says with the hand, with, with the heart, or with the... With, no, hand, speech, or just... And heart. And heart, right? Mm -hmm. So this hadith is being used growing up as kind of like activist... This mm. is always, always used, sometimes out of context, I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, that the hand is used um, as, a, as a most polished form of your faith mm -hmm. without knowing the repercussions. And to date, like, even what happened like a few weeks ago uh, in this part of the world, where I am mm. just now, is extrapolation of this understanding of hadith that we will change things with our hands first. We are on the roads and we can do what we need to do to get things sorted. And mm. then and then the next part is your heart. And the next part is your sorry, sorry, the speech. The speech is there. There are fiery speeches. Mm -hmm. But then whenever you find a place where you could be destructive, you will be because Hadith Ibrahim is what he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so th this is fascinating because what I just explained is part of a sharia is to gradation. Like, if you deny gradation, you deny the Quran. Like, if you think of the way the Quran is revealed, why is it revealed entrenching aqidah, tawheed, risala, you know, hisab, yom al akhir, all the things of disbelief itself, faith in God, angels unseen then once that's entrenched what do you do you tell people have good akhlaq you know that's the second kind of layer of it to be good tell people good words say, say good words to people and then you start to implement 
um, positive laws such as Prophet set up a marketplace. He, you know, he encouraged people to give a charity. He had positive actions. And it's towards the end of the Prophet's life that he has sanctions. Sanctions meaning punishments. And, and to the point that some of the punishments weren't clarified completely for according to some, like Riba, for example, Ibn Abbas famously said that I wish that the Prophet had explained the, the, the verses of Riba clearly so they were not a point of contention amongst the people. And so the Sharia and the Quran is all based upon a gradation. It's a fact of the revelation of the Quran. The Prophet did everything through gradation. You know, Tadarruj. Tadarruj is like it's like no one can deny that. It's it's impossible for any Muslim to deny, let alone scholar, to deny the fact that Tadarruj is the way the Prophet taught. So when he sent Mu'ad, for example, everything I think of at this moment in time, when I'm thinking of this this topic, is Tadarruj, because the Prophet sent Mu'ad to Radiallahu anhu to 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 the to Yemen, and he said to him, "Tell the people that they, there's belief in only one God, Tawheed, and if they accept, then tell them that there's five prayers made obligatory upon them in the day and night. If they accept, then there's zakat taken from their rich and given back to their poor. In other words, he's this tadaruj. If they don't accept the belief in God, then leave them, and, and that's it. The prayer is way down the line, and the zakat's way down the line. And so, this is exactly what's happening in." The life of Ibrahim, where he is internalizing his 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 hatred towards worshiping things, the sun, the moon, the stars, in himself. He's not speaking essentially to, he's not preaching to anybody. And when he then starts to tell people, he's preaching, he's telling people, you know, don't don't worship these idols. Why are you worshiping these idols? What are these idols you're worshiping? In other words, getting them to at least connect with him. They're not. And he says, Okay, I will then. I will plot against your idols. And at that point, he he escalates the whole situation where it will not, nothing will happen unless he escalates it to that point. The point is not... Yes, there, is, there is this, um, I feel sometimes there is a collective communal guilt that uh, some of the communities carry. That you really believe in something else, but you're only acting on part of it. Mm -hmm. Because... You you believe in tadarruj, which is sometimes there is an allegation on on Muslim community that it's not tadarruj. Uh, what in in one of the sects or one of the understanding is takia. You're you're hiding. You you're actually believing in something else, but you you're hiding the fact that this is what you want to achieve, and you only present part of your faith, not the full. Hmm. <laughs> it might be. I mean, so who who's who's this accusation against? Against me, you. Meaning, but we're we we want to be much more um <clears throat> we, we with the hand. Just, yeah. We, 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 something that you hate, something mm -hmm. that your faith forces you to hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you're expected to hate a certain action, act, a communal act, mm -hmm. but you, you're not doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. You're just keeping quiet and waiting for the right time, right moment. And waiting for the right moment is termed as tadaruj. Yes. But the allegation is you're just kind of like hiding the reality of your faith, not expressing it even fully, and you're just waiting for the right moment. That's not. That's life. That's that's life. 
what you want is not always what you can demand. And so you, you, you it's like um, I was reading the newspaper today about um, an upcoming meeting between the new president of the United States of America um, and President Erdogan. And so after the, this American president had, you know, for the first time in history, he articulated the fact that there was a genocide against the Iranian people, which is a, in the context of the First World War, you're talking about genocide and one one party against the other is just like completely farcical. So this very, you know, quote unquote, very intelligent American president, supposedly better than the one that previously left, has for the first time accused, you know, the Ottomans of committing you know, an intentional genocide against another people. And then the whole fallout of that was there was a big fury in Turkey and all the rest of it. And then the foreign spokesman said that, you know, hopefully we have so many, because of the upcoming meeting, we have so many things in common and it'll be a fantastically fruitful meeting between Erdogan and um, Biden. And, you know, everything's, obviously the main, the the the, the known facts are there, but you can't say, okay, let's we're going to go meet and we're going to have a big argument in the Oval Office about how dare he say this. The reality is that's how life is. But it's not taqiyya. It is the fact that you cannot have things your own way on your timetable because other people may have completely different agendas. And what you have to do is come to a, an agreement to move forward on things that you agree upon in a way that you will, in the end, get what you want. Now, that's not taqiyya, because it's not as if we're hiding anything of the fact that what we know is, you know, obnoxious morally and, you know, in terms of natural law and all these things are obnoxious. It's this is a time and place to, you know, press that and to express that. But if they ask us, we're not going to say, if they ask us, we're not going to say, no, or, um, no, we like it. But then a couple of years later saying, no, we're actually lying because we, we actually hate it. No. Everything that's known in Islamic law to be obnoxious to to revelation and to natural law is obnoxious now and in the future. And it's known now. It's not as if you're going to ask me about something today and I'll say, you know, we actually like you. And then two years later, I'll say, no, actually, I was hiding it. It's, it. So it's open. It's just wisdom, pragmatism. And the problem is if people are not able to express what your faith believes, especially in this day and age, they should not speak. Yeah. Like, there's there's the ways of saying it, which is a big problem here. When Muslims speak about certain things, I, I remember I've, I've been on um, numerous times on Nikki Campbell's um, Big Question show, and what's fascinating about that is he always goes after the Muslim, um, you know, member in the in the in the panel, and usually destroys them because the Muslim does not know how to say something that's sensible or reasonable. So he has to either lie and say I don't believe in that, and this, the Quran doesn't say this. Or they say, yes, it does. What are you going to do about it? We want it to apply it right now. And how do you not let us express this? No, there's a way of being reasonable and there's a way of saying it without being you know, threatening. And that's it. And so we don't have the ability to do that. The Prophet never capitulated. He never kind of gave in on his demands. But he said, okay, leave it for now. It's like the situation in, in, in Ta'if. <coughs> the, yeah. the people of Bani Saqif came, no, in, in, in Ta'if, the people of um, Bani Saqif came to Medina and they negotiated their Islam, how to become Muslims at the end of the, the, the Prophet's life, in year 10. And they kept negotiating and negotiating and refusing to do everything. They didn't want to pray, didn't, do, didn't want to do wudu, wanted to commit zina, wanted to ha take usury, everything. The Prophet said, no, 
it's as it is. And then they said, you know, we're not going to pay zakat and we're not going to go on jihad. Ross said, okay. Not saying that, okay, I'll take it out of the Quran so we don't aqimu salah full stop. He said, okay, for this period in time, don't have, you don't have to do it. It's still there for everybody else. And the companions, you know, they got really confused and said, oh, my God, why have you said that to them? He says, they will pay zakat and they will go on jihad. Because he didn't negotiate. He didn't give in. It's part and parcel of our faith. Muslims nowadays, they want to, you know, negotiate and give in to all these demands that we're, we're a live, cuddly, lovely, cuddly religion. Um, and we don't have anything to stand upon. We have no backbone. And then all of a sudden, when people realize we have no backbone, they're going to think, well, it's not just another religion, like other religions, useless. The point is, you have to show this non-negotiable, this love the Prophet you cannot, you cannot insult our Prophet. But we say in the context of the fact that we want to see a result of that. We want to see something practical coming out of that statement that we know can be implemented in a legal framework where, you know, you, you can actually have some recourse to yeah, some kind of judgment. Yeah. So uh, this, this story of Ibrahim does teach that Tadaruj as well. It teaches the Daruj. It's fascinating because it teaches the Daruj, the way I've mentioned. And then it teaches you that when, when, when the push comes to shove, you cannot wish you, you can't be wishy washy. Yeah. You know, either you worship idols or you don't. You got to I, say, look, I I didn't do it. Maybe ask this this. Uh, yeah, but that's like the, that is like the yeah that's like the 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 point being made through mockery and sarcasm. So yeah. you're not going to say, okay, they'll become you know worshiping God in the next generation. So we'll wait, and I'll just wait here, and then hopefully they're I'll teach the kids, and they'll worship God. No, this is a non-negotiable thing. You don't negotiate on that, and so he didn't negotiate. And and, and the fascinating thing about it is that. He said, I will plot against them. He plotted, he won. And then the Quran says at the end of the section that they plotted against him and they were the ones that lost. So the Prophet Ibrahim plotted, he won. He did He did it through his mind. You know, that intelligence and that fatana that he had. They tried to plot against him. You know, they kind of brought him into the public to mock him and and be judge and jury against him. They, they lost they tried to throw him and burn him in, in, a, in a raging fire. Miraculously, he didn't even do anything. And then they're the ones that, through their plotting, have been defeated. And so the whole cycle is fascinating. A, although not to the core of, of the faith, and uh, but practical situations in, in civilizations and in life. Some time ago, uh, in one of the Muslim countries, uh, some religious zealous um people they were in power and one of the first things they did they started decimating the statues of um, buddha mm. and they were there for centuries uh, mm. and the world heritage site and i mean they before and, islam yeah they, they, they predated islam so similar similar situation and and the plea was this is what ibrahim did and we, we're going to do the same where i am where i am these days I remember there is a square in Lahore called Charing Cross, and there used to be a statue of the Queen. Mm. Um, and that that was called Queen's Square. Mm. Uh, but it's no more. As, as a child, I remember that statue was there. And same with Punjab University, the, the uh, Al Al Alfred statue who founded the university, it, it was a statue mm. 
many statues there. Okay. So how do you reconcile? How do you interpret when people who have religious inclination, who are people of faith, so they thought they took this as a challenge that these statues will not be there on the roads of Lahore. Mm. Um, translating faith into reality when you're mm. in power and how do you feel about it after reading these ayahs? What is theological guidance in these kind of matters? Yeah, the theological um, guidance is first of all legal guidance, which is um, <coughs> it's a basic principle apart from the Shafi'i school that a previous you know, modus operandi or a way of acting and behaving is not a rule for our sharia because we have a sharia ourselves, a law ourselves. In other words, we can agree on what's right and what's wrong, but the way you deal with it in the past may not be the way that the, the Prophet asked us to deal with it today. So what was permitted in the past may not be permitted today. What was forbidden in the past may not be forbidden today, which is actually more of the case. So that's the first thing. The, the stories of prophets are for, for the morals of them. And the basic moral is, is the corruption of, of idol worship and the obligation of standing up against idol worship as, you know, by debates and by teaching. Now, the way that you deal with something is, is a completely different thing. Again, from law, not from theology, the theological perspective, um, if there was a situation where there was people worshipping idols in that public context and they were adoring them and they'd become Muslim, they can't have the, 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 the faith of Islam and worship, which essentially was something in, in the, in the Arabian Peninsula that the Prophet did is that the, for specifically for the Arabian Peninsula, such as his opinion of Imam Malik and Abu Hanifa, they, there would be no worship of idols and polytheism on, on, on the Arabian Peninsula. That's a given. And then, you know, leave aside the legal issues, then you've got the issue of, you know, these Buddhist statues that were in Afghanistan. They were there predating Islam. Like the Baramika who advised um, Harun al-Rashid, they were previously um, Buddhist priests. The Muslims, you know, had control over that place from the time of Muhammad Qasim and the expeditions that took place at that time, you know, within a century of Islam. Now, after that, you had empires in the Muslim world, which are actually famed for being for three, at least three or four centuries, famed for, in fact, more than three, four, five centuries, were, were famed for having access to explosives. So, in other words, bombs and ammunition, this is not something new, not something we just invented now. The, the gunpowder empires were the Mughal, the Ottoman and the Safavid empires, Muslim empires, all around that area. So they were there with bombs and explosives. They could have done that a long time ago. No one's worshipping them. And so the whole point is this is like an ibra. This is like a, a, a teaching tool for people to see that, look, at these are, these are beautiful things that people, people created, but at the same time so stupid because the fact that they created them and how can they worship them? Like, it shows us where human beings were in the past, that they had to create something to worship, and they themselves made it. They invented it. So, so preserving the heritage of people's thinking at the time. I think it's very powerful. I mean, most people today would disagree with me. I completely disagree with me because... You know, in the UK, for example, there's, you know, the slave trade discussions coming up and yeah. the 
the kind of situation in, in America amongst the Black African Muslim oppression. That's just that's kind of it's kind of it's a strategic and it's a systematic oppression of a peoples in 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 America. Now that's coupled with now discussions about reparations and sort of statues in most um, UK cities and also Europe as well, who own slave, you know, slaves. Or say, for example, in Glasgow, you have the tobacco trade, which yeah. Great Western Road. You know, Great Western Road is it's the Great Western Road is built by the tobacco merchants of of Glasgow. Um, all these mansions that are there, all on the back of slave trade, and so you have this discussion, which I think is worth thinking about and not acting upon yet, which is what's better to have the statues there and have them as 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 pointers towards a discussion about what we were like in the past. Like a real discussion about who how how grotesque we were as human beings. That this is who the people we honor or tear them down and forget the fact that human beings could ever do that. Now that discussion nowadays is such a knee-jerk discussion that it is basically pull them down, burn them Without, I, I feel any understanding of the psychological ramifications of that, meaning that, yes, you're saying that it's, it's a mockery against and, and an affront against the people that suffered, but a lesson of history is a lesson that never disappears. Mm -hmm. And if you have that and you teach people about the history and you mark it out as being part and parcel of your curriculums and your school teaching and the way that people discuss these issues, it means that the, the natives there, you know, quote-unquote natives, will realise you know, this privilege that they have is in the back of very, very obnoxious actions that their forefathers did. And I think that's much more poetic, much stronger, and much more potent than just destroying things. And I guarantee most people disagree. So li li leaving Cecil Rhodes, um, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people I know, they, they were on the scholarship in Oxford from Pakistan, from all Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah, Bill, Kent Bill Clinton, he won the Cecil Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes scholarship. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and most of uh, the many, many of our friends from our school, they they, they were Cecil Rhodes scholars. Now they there is, there is a connection. They say, we were on scholarship. We are who we are because of the scholarship. Mm -hmm. And now that statue is being taken off uh, in Oxford. That was taken off actually, physically taken off. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it wasn't based on debate. It was based on um, you know whatever it is. It's 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 kind of a reactionary movement. Which I, I I fail to see how it has any kind of serious, it will have any serious positive impact because it's actually it's actually disingenuous to its own aims. It's it's actually doing things which I feel will actually be detrimental to its own aims and objectives, and that's the whole purpose. Nobody's disagreeing. Nobody here is disagreeing about the fact that these were obnoxious people, even at their time, you know, and the fact that you cannot honor and and privilege people. You have to mark them out as part as part of history. And what be better way than to have actually you have actually go and see the place where these people are honored? You know, and that's an irony because how can they be honored if you look at their history? And I think the past, the past, if you if you do that in terms of Islam, for example, you start going back and you start talking about conquest and, and, and taking over people's lands and all the rest of it, you might as well just go back to the streets of Mecca. Or stick to Medina and say we need to retreat every from every city that we entered because we didn't go with official permission to come in, and you know, the moment that you you go through historical reparations, you're going into a very very murky, tricky area of the human psyche because what you what are you going to do there? You know, 
where's the where's the end reparation? You end up you end up going to the Sheikh. So yeah. what also comes to mind is that okay, there is a story of Hazrat Ibrahim in this Surah Ambiya uh, that we've um, listened to the recitation, but there is a bit of a contrast between how Prophet ﷺ dealt with uh, idols and how Hazrat Ibrahim dealt with it. Is it the time and age, uh, the, the time it passed, or the situation was different? Prophet, uh, Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, he, what I understand of Asira is this is not how he did things. He did not go and destroy things. I, I think the opposite. Yeah. Because essentially, when you, he, the Prophet Ibrahim did what he could in the time that he was there in an effective way. The Prophet did it in the same way at the most effective time that he could do it. So you're talking about this intelligence the Prophets had, which is they, they both agree on what needs to be done. It's a question of, okay, when's the right time? Rushed. So it's as if they weren't disagreeing upon what their action was. The Prophet pushed down the idols. He just tipped them with his staff. So he, the end result was the same. But the point is, it's the end result. It's not the way you get there. The way you get there is through your thinking and, and, and analyzing when's the best time to do something. And the important thing is to get it done. You know, you know, either Kunta Mursal and the Hajj Mursal first al Hakim and Walatu Sihi as um Ibn Abi Sulima, you know, his famous point, he says, you know, if you're gonna send somebody for a, for an action, send somebody wise, don't tell them what to do because they'll know what to do. And so the Prophet Ibrahim was wise, he knew what he needed to do. Don't tell him Allah's not gonna tell him, okay, do this and then say this. I mean if they say this, come back to me and I'll tell you the answer to it. Just yalla. Go, <laughs> and then the Prophet asked him as well. You know, he's a, he's 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 fatin. You know, the Prophet said, and Allah's not going to tell him. Okay, text me if you know. Astaghfirullah. Like, what do you think this is? Prophets are nabwa al ambiya. Surat al ambiya is about people at the in the peaks of these mountains that we, you know, we look up to and we 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 honor because of their amazing ability to think and have maturity. One of the names of uh, Prophet is Nuhi, the mm. reviver. Nuhi, Nuhi al-Mawta. So he's, the Prophet is the one that revives people's hearts because, you know, the one that revives people's souls and, and bodies is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Nuhi, and we know this, uh, you know, in, in our religion, religion as well, Nuhi <coughs> din you know, the reviver of religion. Nuhi din ibn al-Arabi, for example, you know, mm. the great Andalusian, Born, you know, pub, you know, buried in in now Damascus in in in, in, in the north in the northern part of the city, he revived, give life to religion. In other words, the perspective of religion was was waning, and people were, un, were misunderstanding things. He came and gave the, this breath of fresh air to the religion. Muhi is one of the names of the Prophet because he gave life to dead hearts. You know, like Fadala, he touched his heart, prayed for him. Just when he was about the Prophet, he was about to stab the Prophet and Prophet, what are you doing? He says, I'm remembering God. He wasn't. He was trying to assassinate the Prophet. The Prophet placed his hand in his heart. And Fadala says that as soon as he took his hand off my heart, nobody more hated to me. And after that, nobody more beloved to me. You know, the heart was just given this amazing burst of life by the Prophet's touch. So, Muhyi. Muhyi. And Muhyi, the name of Prophet, uh, relevance for us, people who are listening in the final moments of oh, time flew today. It's only three minutes to iftar. Are you sure so, you're not 
missed timing it. It's not. It's not ten o'clock. It's not uh, nine o'clock, is it? It is. What time is iftar? Nine o'clock. It's three to nine. So I was speeding up because I thought iftar is earlier. But um, so what does Muhi mean to to us? It's again. It's it's one of these names that are. It's a name that through which you honor and you recognize and you adore something that you and you you hope to emulate. You know, you're a person that gives life, not death. You know, people, you know, somebody comes to you with a good idea. You don't say stupid idea. You say, hmm, good idea. Why don't we do it this way? You know, you don't kill people's aspirations. You don't kill people's enthusiasm for religion. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to do this. And you say, yeah, haram, haram. Why can't you say, in the Prophet used to tell us to this and this. Same thing. You've, you've just diverted them from something that's, okay, let's accept it's wrong. But see, the Prophet used to tell you know, that's a good idea. We can do it this way. And it's a sunnah of the Prophet asked him to do it this way. So somebody asks you, you know, did the Prophet, you know, didn't wipe his hands on his face after dua? You don't have to say, you know, yes or no. You can say, okay, that this is how the Prophet did something. Or let's make dua together. Muhi, just revive a, revive a sunnah of the Prophet. And the Prophet said that whoever revives a sunnah is as if they revived me. So inshallah, everybody, everybody can revive one sunnah, find out about one sunnah the Prophet used to do that's hidden and missed and, and forgotten about. You know, do it, inshallah, and you'll be as if you've revived the sunnah of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. Subhanallah. Mawalaikul khatmur rasul. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. As-salamu alaykum.